Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Favell, and today is September 12th, 2023, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Day. It's a special day. It's WASD Day, and I'm going to keep with the joke of donuts. Kevin, are you <laughs> eating donuts? You know, we actually had a little bit of leftovers from uh, yesterday, so I, I, did, did. Uh, I did partake and wake up and scarf donuts. You know, and I have to apologize. I ate your maple, your favorite. I didn't know maple was your favorite donut, but now I do. And uh, I'll split it with you next time. How's that? Much better. Okay. (laughs) And I'm sure those Buffalo Bill fans all need a donut today. What a terrible performance. And that's why Eric's not on the podcast today, probably. Right. That's exactly why he's not Uh, here. He, He just didn't want to deal with, you know, some football talk. And I told him, I said, buddy. At least your season hopes aren't over. Yeah, like, this, like Steelers. Like the Steelers, <laughs> we got beat by the 49ers badly. Know. You know, it doesn't doesn't look good. And uh, so, what I told him was that uh, it's Josh Allen's one bad uh, game for the year, and he he appreciated that. But uh, yes. we miss you, Eric. So uh, why don't we jump right into it? And Nicole, why don't you uh, cover a little thoughts on wheat, and then move over to the grains. Um, yes, sir. Very curious of what they did with the yield. Let me start. Let me preface this by saying I am in no comparison to the illustrious Eric Thornton when it comes to this market. So what I'm going to present to you now are the notes he left me. Otherwise, you just come out of this even more confused. So, well, I would do my Eric voice, but that went over really badly when I did my Kevin voice. So I'll I'll just stick. I'll stick with, with me. So. For the U.S. balance sheet, no changes. But Eric did want you to know that's as predicted. So give give the man a round of applause for seeing that coming. And then he said, well, they did that last year. No changes in September. So he's a good analyst. He recognizes uh, what happens in the past can and does often impact the future. But on the global side of things, uh, things were a little interesting, I guess. Um, Australia lowered their production by 3 million metric tons to 26 million. Sounds like it's a fair estimate for today, but it could be at risk of declining further with El Nino-related dryness in this season that could further threaten that crop. Uh, For Argentina, they were off a million metric tons. And and as we all know, they've also been dealing with unfavorable weather and dryness, uh, particularly for their spring wheat crop. And fingers crossed, it's going to be a lot better uh, moving forward. But El Nino didn't get there soon enough for a recovery for Argentina's crop. Overall, global stocks were off uh, a bit more than what the analysts thought uh, ahead of the report, down 7 million tons. Uh, now at 258.6 million metric tons, which happens to be the lowest level since 2017. Uh, Now the USDA sees Canada at about 31 million tons. That's also down a bit off two more million tons. But, you know, we could still see more revisions uh, in the future, maybe a little lower yet uh, with Canada, just uh, Stats Canada just recently putting out a projection of about 29 and a half million tons a couple of weeks ago. Now, Ukraine has been incredibly impressive 
the production despite what's happened with the war. With another one and a half million ton increase, they're now projected at 22 and a half million. The Russian crop, which, you know, he's, he's stated more often than not, uh, has been, uh, is a pretty sizable one. And they left that untouched at 85 million tons. But he's thinking that could grow a little larger in future reports. So his bottom line for, for the wheat market is with corn and soybean yields uh, and ending stocks for those two crops, largely within expectations as well as, as wheat itself, and not as low as some had feared, uh, wheat prices may continue to hover around these recent two-year lows. So good news from the wheat front for wheat buyers. Uh, so mm. that covers wheat. Yeah. Are you going to shift over to corn now? Because it was, uh, you know, Michael. interesting. Michael. Yes. No one ever hears me sing on the podcast, do you believe in magic? Because I hope you do. <laughs> Yeah, come well, on, he, Kevin. You're not. He's not going to join it. He's everything. not going to join us. He doesn't. Say I was it. being good, and I had my yeah. mute on. So. <laughs> yeah, that's probably good. Well, thank you for muting. I've become a fan of magic. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, good, good. I was just going to say, what a, I mean, a highly anticipated yes. month for the Wazdi and corn. <laughs> All you corn sweetener uh, folks out there about to negotiate contracts or in the middle of it. Uh, you know, what did they do? Because uh, there was a lot of questions on yield. And, and yet I look at the mm-hmm. market and both uh, corn and soybeans are down. Yeah, well, I can, if I Come could, on, David Copperfield. If, I was going to say, if I could speak in a Harry Potter voice. Come on, get with it. Harry Potter. <laughs> come on, man. I got <laughs> an eight-year-old. You know you know, it's Harry Potter over here. Um, if I could speak in his voice, I would say, yeah. uh, Abracadabra, Alakazam. We have new acreage available. Woo! <laughs> so <laughs> for the for the corn market, you know, we joke about this, but I, I promise you, we say this to clients on a regular basis. We will give our entire, you know, sort of an uh, analysis. Eric and I have a lot of uh, mutual clients and we'll give our entire analysis. And then we always caveat it with, unless the USDA finds some acres. And here we are. <laughs> We were able to find almost a million acres for corn. Wow. One million. It was uh, closer to, I believe, 800,000 was the exact figure there, but an 800,000 acre increase. So even though the market got the yield reduction it was anticipating, uh, now at 173.8 bushels per acre, that uh, boost in harvest and planted and subsequently harvested acreage pretty much made it a, a, a moot point. And uh, other than a minor reduction to carry in uh, from 2022-23, I would say the acreage story was the story of today's report. And true enough, we still have a ways to go with this yield. Um, so far, we've only got about 5% of the corn crop harvested, at least as of September 10th. But I think everyone's pretty comfortable at this point with uh, at least 2 billion bushels of ending stocks for 23-24 and stocks to use upwards of 14%. That should keep that market in fairly bearish territory. If there is a remaining question, it relates to the 22-23 balance sheet. And this one could be a little impactful for carrying in for 23-24, depending on how things go. And that's the feed category. So You know, feed consumption may have completely dropped off a cliff in the fourth quarter, 
But that would have to occur to kind of get this number. And that, you know, with the first three quarters of demand, you know, pretty firmly known, and looking at 22-23 versus uh, 21-22, we were, were trending lower by about 2.3%. Uh, and the USDA projection, or I guess I should say estimate now for 22-23, shows a 5% year-over-year decline. So that may that may come up a bit uh, at some point. And, and if it's going to happen, we'll see it in the October WASDE release because we'll get grain stocks report at the end of this month that everyone should uh, be keeping an eye open for. Because uh, that's going to give us a, a, a firmer idea of exactly what consumption was for 22-23. Now, that's the, you know, kind of potentially bad news. But even if that number is understated, 23-24 corn export demand is still a big question. We got economic weakness in China, which can be a destination of opportunistic sales for the U.S. We got a large 22-23 corn crop in Brazil and prospects of even more total corn production from South America in 23-24 with a normal crop cycle and something uh, more like normal for Argentina. So overall, I mean, it, it would be incredibly challenging short of a reversal of these additional acres and, uh, you know, another two, three bushel per acre decline. You'd need all of that to, to put that 2 billion bushels in jeopardy. And it seems unlikely at this point. And then from a global standpoint, 22, 23 ending stocks increased by about two and a half million tons, just under uh, 300 million tons. Uh, and that was due to an upward revision to Brazil's production of 2 million tons to now uh, show 137 million for 22-23. And they also raised exports for both Brazil and Argentina by about a million tons each. So moral of the story there, things are looking really good for the corn side of, uh, or as far as these row crops are concerned with corn. Uh, and with that, futures are likely to, you know, kind of hang out where they are currently, unless the U.S. soy crop production falls further, more on that in a moment, or something appears to be jeopardizing, you know, a recovery in South American uh, production, again, most notably uh, Argentina. So I would say you're looking at corn futures with a, a pretty good soft floor for December 23 at about 460 per bushel. But if we get some better news on soy than anticipated, maybe that can give us another 20, 25 cents uh, on the downside. Uh, and then lastly, from a basis standpoint, they should, <laughs> they should come under pressure in 23, 24. Cause really this is the first time since 2020 where the market has had good production prospects for most of the major global corn exporters with Ukraine being the exception. And we're already starting to see some pressure on Midwest uh, producer bids. Probably going to see more of that as harvest really gets underway. But a lot of that will also come down to farmer selling. They have been really behind on selling uh, 23, 24 thus far. We know those storage costs have gone up with more interest, with higher interest rates and, uh, and potentially a little hot, stronger uh, energy costs. We'll see. But overall, you know, things are looking pretty good for corn. Now, as far as soy is concerned, magic, voila, we have more acres there too. Wow. I am obviously biased in that 
I would have liked to have seen that million, uh, you know, 800,000 more acres in soy because that's where we need more help. Uh, but in this case, it was an additional 100,000 planted acres. So, but our yield also came down there as the market was expecting, but probably a little better than kind of that worst case scenario. Uh, USDA put it at 50.1 bushels per acre. And there's a lot out in the market today speculating that that number uh, is below 50. So we'll we'll see there and obviously uh, even, even further behind as far as harvest is concerned when it comes to the soy. Uh, so we'll see what, what we get. But that increase in planted acreage uh, was, was capable of offsetting this lower uh, or some of this lower yield number. Uh, so ultimately, production was only reduced by about 60 million bushels. Now, in order to do that, though, <laughs> and to in order to limit that impact on ending stocks for 23-24, USDA had to make some modifications to demand for to consumption. And this is where things get a little interesting, and we'll see how things play out this marketing year. But crush was lowered, and at this point, which show just a 3% year-over-year increase versus 22-23. Um, and that remains to be seen. We got additional renewable diesel capacity coming online next year. I'll talk more about that with oil here in a second. Uh, federal mandates that suggest we're going to continue to see an increase to production and use of renewable diesel moving forward. And more and more states appear to be adopting some similar energy policies to that of California, which currently that state being the big currently the biggest market driving growth in in renewable diesel, uh, and you know historically domestic soy crush has been driven by soybean mill demand, which would support the idea potentially of less significant year over year growth projection for that category if you're thinking about things like livestock numbers as an example. Uh, but what would be interesting to see is if that dynamic uh, will change in 24 particularly if we're able to, to kind of stave off a, a major recession and subsequently domestic energy consumption remains well supported. And it's also worth mentioning, we don't often talk about meal on this podcast, but USDA is projecting that total soybean meal demand. So both domestic disappearance and exports are going to increase 2.6% in 2324. So that meal has to come from somewhere. And the other category for soy, exports. Uh, now, they're projected to fall by another 10% in 23-24 after dropping by 7.5% in 22-23. Now, on one hand, like I said, Brazil is becoming a larger and more meaningful competitor this year and every year, <laughs> it seems, uh, they become a, a bigger competitor to the U.S. We got those low levels on the Mississippi that are raising the price of exporting out of the Gulf uh, and a lot of soy. Uh, tends to get exported that way. Uh, and Argentina, again, is expected to see recovery in production in the upcoming year. So all of those would support the idea of weaker export demand in 23-24. But on the other hand, Chinese purchases of U.S. soy have been good thus far. Uh, like corn, where they've been reasonably quiet, they have been buying new crop beans. And there appears to have been some adverse impacts on production within China this year. So, you know, kind of elevating their need for imports. And by the time Brazil and Argentina have this 23-24 uh, crop ready for export, 
the U.S. will be mostly through its historical peak period of export demand anyway. So we'll see how all that plays out. But at least right now, they were able to uh, keep those ending stocks for 23, 24 soybeans above 200 million bushels. Personally, I'm still in the camp that that number is sub 200 million bushels and time will tell just to what degree. So let's, lastly, let's talk a little bit about soybean oil and, you know, this battle <laughs> between it and soybean meal for crush. I think we're going to continue to see how that plays out in 23, 24. Um, but, you know, we haven't finalized consumption yet for soybean oil for 22, 23. Let me emphasize that because you're looking at these ending stocks uh, for this year, or excuse me, for 22, 23 and 23, 24. If you're looking at those now, you're probably thinking, okay, 1.8 billion pounds. That's about what we're going to be. I would say, don't do that just yet because we still need to firm up those biofuel numbers and USDA raised those yet again. Now 11.8 billion pounds for 2223, uh, let alone kind of firming up with the ideas are for, for next year. Also, exports this year, incredibly weak, 370 million pounds, and anticipating that they're going to remain low uh, in 2324. I do not disagree with that at all. And just for perspective, if you look at last year or or it's kind of weird when you're talking about soybean oil because the marketing year doesn't begin until October. But you look at the 22-23 marketing year and you look at that relative to the to the year prior. We saw uh, in 21-22, domestic demand was about 93% of total demand. You look at 23-24 and domestic consumption is projected to be about 99% of consumption. So again, we're seeing this shift start to take place where exports is gradually becoming a thing of, a, of the past for soybean oil. And, and I think it also speaks to folks to really focus on what's happening in the U.S. market when trying to get an idea of what to expect for soybean oil prices and futures and basis because it's going to be the the growth out of that renewable uh, that biofuel category that's going to make the difference for us. So we look at ending stocks and stocks to use 6.9 percent for 22-23, expected to drop to 6.7 percent in 23-24. So we're probably going to be looking at prices trending between about 50 and 60 cents, maybe the the the, the low 50s at best to the mid to high 60s per pound on the futures market for the 23-24 marketing year. So put that in mind as sort of your range when you're determining where uh, things may go and uh, more importantly, when you're going to jump into the market and start locking some of that stuff in. Obviously, there were a few changes made to the global balance sheet. Don't want to harp on those too much knowing that you know we're just <laughs> just getting started there. And folks can go to IQ. We've got a good little write-up on all of that. But I would say, again, the moral of the story here, today's report, uh, neutral to bearish, probably providing a window of opportunity for a few things. And vigilance is required uh, for the next few months to see how things shape up 
in more of a finalization mode for consumption in, in 22, 23, and what we end up overall with uh, these crops for 23, 24. So that gets it. Great. Thank you, Nicole. That was a great recap as always. And you did mention the IQ platform there real quick. And I'd remind all those subscribers that uh, that new section we have called Commodity Insights, where we cover weekly what's happening in those markets and the impact of things that are happening in each of those different commodities, corn, oils, chocolate, sugar, wheat, dairy, biofuels, energy, and even the economy and inflation. So if you're not a subscriber, reach out to us at McKinney-Fovell.com. Okay, Kevin, sugar. Yo, I sugar. I'm very excited Good because stuff. September is a big report for sugar, and I bet you they didn't disappoint us. They did not disappoint <laughs> us. There was plenty uh, plenty of fireworks in the report, and it, it kind of went as expected in a lot of ways, but they still surprised us. So that's uh, that was a good thing. I think, uh, you know, production first and foremost on everyone's mind, and we were expecting a higher beet crop. And they really kind of went to the top end of my range. I, you know, expected them to bring it up maybe 100,000 tons or something like that. But uh, they raised it 150,000 tons. So we have a crop expectation of 5.223 million short tons raw value. But not only did they raise 23.24, they also went back and looked at the sugar recovery of old crop as that ended up a little bit higher as well. They raised old crop 32,000 tons. So total increase of 182,000 tons on the beet crop. And then we've been expecting Louisiana production to be lower just based on the heat and uh, drought conditions going on down there. And uh, they took it down. They took it down big. So 372,000 tons lower in Louisiana down to 1.682 million tons, which would be the lowest crop since uh, 2019-20 down Louisiana, which was also a uh, weather impacted uh, crop down there and freeze, et cetera, that uh, did it. So kind of got the opposite effect this year on the drought and heat. So production wise, again, just much uh, higher levels of change than we expected there. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously uh, not great, but we ended up seeing a balance sheet not change as much as we thought it might because we ended up with 145,000 tons more in beginning stocks than we expected. So when we looked at 22-23, already mentioned the production increase. We also had 60,000 tons further increase in high-tier imports. So we're up to 450,000 tons of high-tier imports for 22-23, Mike. Crazy. That's a lot. Is that a record? Uh, I don't know if that's a record. I'd have to look back at some of those years when we had crop failures and, and things going back there. But uh, it's up there. But just imagine how much money the sugar program is making now. You just said that. <laughs> I did just say that. That's a lot of money at uh, over 15 cents per pound uh, tier two duty on raw sugar and 16 cents on refined. Most of that's going to be raw, but uh, still, wow. And then the other thing we... Uh, Talked about for a long time, you know, going back pre-COVID, we used to look at sugar demand and population growth. It was uh, well above what we're seeing on on increases in sugar deliveries. And it looks like maybe we're entering back to more normal. You know, COVID kind of interrupted deliveries and, you know, made it really hard to kind of ascertain what was going on. But now uh, USDA lowered 
deliveries for food used 75,000 tons again. So now we're only showing a little less than a quarter of percent growth in uh, deliveries for food use. And then for 2324, they kind of carry that projection over and they're showing 0.4% growth. So, you know, we're kind of right back to those pre-COVID levels of yeah. very limited growth on uh, sugar deliveries and, you know, kind of what we would have expected because certainly no one seems to be out there saying, hey, I need to increase my added sugars or anything like that. And, you know, food manufacturers haven't been doing so. So I think we kind of got back to maybe where uh, we're looking at more normal situation on food deliveries. So that's going to be uh, interesting to play out long term. But, you know, USDA citing pace, uh, haven't seen the delivery figures yet, but uh, kind of exactly what we've expected and what we've been seeing from a lot of our customers. So that changed. So 22.23, Mike, stocks to use ratio is up to 17.1%. When's the last time you saw that? I, I'm going to have to go back. <laughs> you have to go way back, I'm sure. <laughs> well, let, and, me, uh, let me guess. Uh, maybe 16, 17, something like that? That's kind of what I'm thinking, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't look it up, but uh, that would be my guess was 2016, 17 type of time frame. And uh Prices kind of reflected it. I don't know that prices reflect a 17.1% stocks to use ratio today. No, I would say that we had different pricing back then. A little bit different pricing. So anyway, that 145,000 tons uh, beginning stocks offset some of that lower production uh, on the cane side. And uh, Mexico did get a big haircut on their uh, quota. You know, last month they're showing... 1.486 million tons this month are dropping at 202,000 tons but uh when you look at what's going on in mexico it's probably a good thing because i don't know they were gonna you know be able to meet that full quota uh given that their crop is still being impacted by drought you know as decimated last year 5.224 million tons usda was showing 5.9 as their kind of their initial placeholder they lowered it 100,000 tons to 5.8 million tons but you know, just looking at how severe the drought is and how widespread it is, even more so than last year, you know, hearing a lot of talk around 5.6 million tons crop estimate this year down in Mexico. So, you know, we'll just have to see when they get out their first official estimate, probably in another month or so, uh, what it looks like, but definitely lower and, and lower supplies available. So, it's going to be interesting. But with sugar program and the amended suspension agreements, that 17.1% ending stocks uh, to use ratio for 22-23 becomes 13.5% for 23-24. And, uh, you know, just going to have to see how the USDA works away and how some of these numbers come to fruition. But, uh, you know, that's the one thing about the sugar program. You may say, hey, 17.1% we're swimming in sugar, but, you know, you basically just roll it over into the next crop year with the amended suspension agreements with Mexico and uh, voila, we're back to 13.5%. So uh, maybe things are as tight and why prices are still high. Time will tell. Time will tell. Right, anything else on sugar, Kevin? You know, I think that's the, uh, the highlights and uh, just have to see how things evolve and knock, knock. You know, we've talked about good beet production in the past and had early winter conditions or something come and destroy that uh, outlook. So I'm going to knock You're on wood on, here. Knocking on the wood. <laughs> and let's hope that these average to above average crops uh, continue to hold up and we have uh, this you know really nice production. 
Excellent. Well, thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Nicole, for a great recap of the WASD report. Uh, as I mentioned before, if you're not an IQ subscriber, reach out to us at nikini-flavel.com and we'll put you on a test drive. As I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute, moment with your friends and family. And until our next podcast, take care, everybody. Goodbye. Bye now. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.